Hello, this is Bell Chen, and welcome to the podcast series, "The World in Sounds," a series about travel and culture, and really getting to know a place and its people through sounds and music. Today, we're in Hong Kong, the fragrant harbor, a city with an iconic skyline that has been admired through numerous Hollywood movies. It is a bustling city with incredible energy. The sights, the overhanging signboards, the traffic, the smell, and the humidity. There are so many stimuli here, so many details to be consumed by the senses. Currently, we're just getting off the airport express train on Hong Kong Island, and on this trip, we're set to explore what sounds are distinct to Hong Kong. I am particularly excited about what we may discover in this episode because Hong Kong is a place with a complex history, and it is still evolving. As a city, over 92% of its population are of Han Chinese ethnicity. However, Hong Kong really came to its standing in the 156 years under British colonial rule. It was only 20 years ago, in 1997, had Britain returned Hong Kong to China in the sovereignty handover. Looking outside now today, the flag of People's Republic of China flies alongside the Hong Kong state flag, both in the same shade of vivid red. Replacing the previous Union Jack and the colonial flag, and all this gives Hong Kong a very unique culture, a curious fusion of the old and new, of Eastern traditions and Western construct. So we're coming in here with our ears equipped, and I'm really filled with excitement to see what we can discover. The same type of excitement that you get when you're about to see an old friend for the first time in a very long time. As usual, we're exploring via the streets, and from Hong Kong Station, we're now making our way around Central, the finance district on Hong Kong Island. As we make our way through, I'm glad to be wearing sneakers and not heels, as there are many steps here. We're walking in the direction of Mid Levels, which is halfway up the famous Victoria Peak, and it is an uphill climb the whole way. We mentioned before the bustling energy of the city, and walking around now, it really does feel like we're walking in a dense fog of sound. But yet, the soundscape of Hong Kong is slightly different from the other crowded cities that we have visited so far. There is something about the quality of the acoustic here that makes it different to, say, the acoustic of Oxford Street in London, or even Times Square in New York. And we are going to find out why. Hong Kong is a very dense city, not because of the size of the city is particularly small. In fact, Hong Kong consists of over 230 islands and the mainland Kowloon Peninsula. However, the terrain on the main islands and the peninsula is very mountainous, and 
As the result, buildable land here is rather restricted. A significant amount of land used are actually reclaimed. Because of its activities as a port city as well, and the location of reclaimed land, most commercial and residential developments are concentrated along the northern shore of Hong Kong Island and the southern shore of mainland Kowloon. Adding to this mix, as we walk along, we can notice a lot of use of concrete, both in the buildings and on the roads. A material, of course, suitable to withstand the humid subtropical climate and the typhoon seasons that happen here annually. And as time progresses, as older buildings are replaced by taller high-rises, this mix of narrow alleyways, high-rise buildings, and hilly landscape really gives this place a very interesting broad acoustic. That we haven't picked up anywhere else before. Sounds seem to be able to travel very far here, and as we're standing here, there are some things that I can hear so vividly. They sound very close, but I'm unable to visually trace where the sound sources are located. On top of all this, adding in the concentration of the people in this area, the culture of playing radios and TVs out loud in shops, and the traffic. This is a massive feast of sound, and I'm pretty sure our brains are working overtime at the moment to decode all these audio signals, not to mention the visual ones. With all these sounds and people, it is very hard to imagine that before the British colonization, Hong Kong was a humble fishing village of no more than 1,500 people. The British colonization began in 1842 after the First Opium War. The British had negotiated for Hong Kong from Chinese Qing Dynasty and very quickly set up infrastructure here for a trading port. The central area where we are now became the centre for military and administrative facilities, attracting a flourish of Western and Chinese people who congregated here to trade and to live. Within two years of colonization. The population grew by twofold. Today, the population is just over 7.3 million. On a surface level, we can see evidences of British colonization in the naming of locations, such as Victoria Harbour and Oxford Street. We can also see some colonial-style architecture, although there are very few that remain today. There is one just ahead of us on Hollywood Road that is worth checking out. It is the former Central Police Station, and its facade is reminiscent of the buildings along the Strand in London. However, looking closer into the lifestyle of the locals, British colonization has a deeper impact on the modern Hong Kongers' daily life. From language, Hong Kong being officially a bilingual state, to drinks such as Hong Kong-style milk tea, which is black tea with condensed or evaporated milk. Originating from the British practice of afternoon tea, originally Chinese people in the Canton region had been drinking their tea straight, without milk. To understand a bit further on how British colonization has left an imprint on the daily lives of Hong Kongers, from the perspective of a local, we speak to Felix Lowe, who was born in Kowloon.
So we, we have a few core subjects,、uh, Chinese and English is one of them.、Um, so we learn both of them as a language. Although most of the time we speak in Cantonese, which is my mother tongue, and in the, the official system, there's also Chinese secondary school and English secondary school. So the main difference is the the language you teach in on different subjects. If you do a chemistry subject in a Chinese secondary school, we taught everything in Chinese, and then vice versa. But、um, I think when you get to university, most of them are taught in English anyway. So、um, it makes a very natural selection to go to an English secondary school.、Um, despite the Westernization and modernization of society and civilization. I find really interesting that Hong Kong still maintains a very conservative and quite traditional mind of,、uh, way of thinking in terms of、um, uh, superstitions. Like, oh, I must visit Buddha this year because I've had a bad luck. I need to、uh, change my luck.、Uh, I need to go、uh, go to a fortune teller to see my、uh, fortune, what I'm going to be like.、Uh, every year around the summertime, there's the、uh, Yulanzi, which is the、um, ghost festival. To celebrate the the death, kind of like Halloween, but not as fun as Halloween in a way. So they tend to do a massive performance of、um, a few Chinese opera.、Um, so the first show is always, always for the dead. So if you walk past bamboos built in a sort of massive playground, Chinese theatre, and they're doing a show and no one is sitting there, do not sit down because those are those seats are reserved for the dead. And if you sit down, it's very likely you upset one of the spirits, and、uh, it might bring you bad luck. Those kind of interests really peaks during、um, sort of Chinese New Year, all those sort of typical Chinese festival, which is quite quite cool actually,、um, that we manage to maintain our sort of own identity, with and also incorporating a lot of Western sort of culture because of the colonial times. I think they incorporated.、Um, Christmas and Easter into our holiday calendar, so、um, we do celebrate them. It is interesting that Felix mentioned that both Western and Eastern traditions are being embraced and adapted by modern-day Hong Kongers. And with such a mixed adaptation of the cultures, would it be possible to find something that is definitively representative of the Hong Kong identity? This question first popped into our heads when we were on the walk and trying to decide what to eat. We wanted to find something that is definitively Hong Kong in terms of cuisine, and soon we found it very hard to actually pinpoint one particular cuisine that's representative of Hong Kong, because on the way here we've already passed a dim sum place. There is a very famous one called Lun Hong Tea House just around the corner. Dim sum being representative of a broader Cantonese practice around Guangdong, then there was also a popular congee place, and congee, of course, is a meal with thousands of years of tradition from Imperial China. Then a few blocks down, we saw a street vendor selling yellow curry fish bowls. We've been told by the locals that yellow curry fish bowls. Are the definitive Hong Kong street food that would take Hong Kongers back to their childhood, and even though the taste of the curry is in Hong Kong style, I cannot but wonder whether there was some Indian heritage. After all, Indian traders and population had played such a significant role in the development of Hong Kong that the Indian rupee was accepted as legal tender in early British Hong Kong.
Then there is the Cha Chan Tea, my favorite, which is uh, translated to tea restaurant, and it serves many that fuses the West and the East. So things like Hong Kong style spaghetti bolognese, steak marinated in soy sauce, and another one would be macaroni in broth with eggs and sausage. This multifaceted aspect of the Hong Kong identity. I think has found its manifestation in all sorts of different ways. From the way that the locals speak, there is a lot of code switching in their everyday conversations, to all sorts of different kinds of art, and this includes music. When we think of music of Hong Kong, perhaps one of the first things that we think of is the Cantonese opera, which Felix had mentioned earlier. It is an art form that is deeply rooted in traditional Chinese culture, and one can still catch this in Koshan Theatre and Yaomatai Theatre today. On the other end of the spectrum, there is also a very active classical music scene here. Classical music was the form of entertainment preferred by the earliest of British settlers in 19th century. Today, with the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra and Hong Kong Sinfonietta leading the scene, the city itself boasts of over a dozen of concert halls suitable for classical music. But what we are now really interested in is to find a genre of music where this complexity of history and culture of Hong Kong is best represented. We're looking for a genre that was reactive to all that was happening in Hong Kong throughout the past centuries, a genre that also demonstrated the fusion, this multifaceted aspect of the city. And as we walk past the assortment of local shops and listening really closely to the music that is coming out of radio and TV, the answer suddenly became clear. Perhaps it is in pop music that we can find where the history of Hong Kong has left the most imprint. We have just dropped our luggage off and are heading back down the hill to Skaolung. It is now early evening, and there are many people already hanging around Lang Kwai Fong, a nightlife area in Central, popular with expats. It is super vibrant, full of energy and laughter, good vibes all round. And as usual, there are music blasting out everywhere. I think I can hear a bit of um, Justin Bieber in the background. But if we are to track the homegrown music that plays in venues like this, in terms of you know pop productions, electronic music, Hong Kong is a very special place in that it has produced pop music in three different languages. There was the Hong Kong English pop of the 60s and 70s. Many of the songs from then drew inspirations from the sounds of the Beatles and Elvis. Then there was a Cantonese pop or Canto pop. That emerged into the scenes in the 80s and dominated in the 90s. Lastly, there is a Mandarin pop or Mandal pop, which was imported from Taiwan and saw an increase in popularity ever since China's 
economic reform in 1978. It remains very popular today. And in a way, this variety in languages is not really surprising. After all, Hong Kong is a bilingual state. However, what is really interesting is the different times in which these different styles of pop songs rose to popularity, and they seem to coincide with major events in history. For example, Hong Kong English pop closely modeled itself on the sounds of the West. The early colonial segregation in Hong Kong meant that local Cantonese took to adapt to Western influences, as they were presented to be considered to be better and more sophisticated. During this time, the Cantonese singers, who would later on become household names, recorded in English. Then the rise of Cantonese pop coincided with a historical moment in 1974, when the British government finally made Chinese a legal language after years of protests in Hong Kong. Despite the majority of population being Han Chinese and spoke Cantonese, official business law and governing were executed in English before 1974. This ensured that the British people stayed in power. By the 80s, Cantonese pop had become so popular that the singers who started out their careers singing in English had switched to singing in Cantonese, their native tongue. The emergence of Mandarin pop happened around the same time as Cantonese pop, and it came after China's economic reform in 1978, which allowed mainland Chinese to access music and resources from other countries. As the Communist Party had banned any domestic popular music production before this economic reform, there was suddenly a huge market craving for pop music in Mandarin Chinese. Some of the singers who were already successful in Cantonese pop also began to record in Mandarin. This allowed them a broader reach into the Chinese-speaking market. It is now night time, and we are roaming around the Kowloon side of Victoria Harbour to catch a glimpse of the city lights on Hong Kong Island. I am a big sucker for cityscape at night, and whenever I travel, I like to seek out these lights along with a set of earphones and a kick-ass playlist. It is a form of meditation. Looking at the flashing corporation lights on the buildings today. We have noticed an increase in companies from mainland China that is now housed here. Things have changed dramatically since the British first colonized Hong Kong, and it feels like year by year, Hong Kong may be moving towards its Chinese heritage more and more. However, I get the sense that there are some mixed feeling about all of this. I had met with a few friends, different groups of friends here in Hong Kong. Some of them were from China who had come over to Hong Kong to study. Since the sovereignty handover in '97, more Chinese people were able to enter into Hong Kong to live, study, and work. 
However, off the record, some of these Chinese friends had expressed a sense of being unwelcomed as Chinese in Hong Kong, and. Similarly, some Cantonese friends have also expressed that they are concerned that Hong Kong is losing its identity, as the number of Chinese people coming into the city and taking control of the businesses and the government continues to rise. I can sense that there is a deep sense of frustration and helplessness here. Chasing after rainbows, and I never find again. Life is much too beautiful to live it all alone. Oh, how much I need someone! At the same time, it is incredible to witness that after almost six generations of British rule, even though Chinese people and Hong Kongers, perhaps maybe from the same ethnicity, they had developed very different identities, values, and cultures. It is 4:30 a.m. and I am very much awake and still running on London time. I'm getting quite bored, so I have climbed up onto the roof of my accommodation in hope to catch the sunrise. Twilight hours are my favourite times of the day. Hong Kong at this time is very calm, a stark contrast to the buzz during the daytime. And when the mankind stops, the nature really speaks. I have by chance caught the animals coming alive and their sounds echoing through the district. This is the perfect example of the boomy acoustic that I was mentioning earlier. It is absolutely incredible. I think these sounds may be the monkeys and birds, and they may be located in the botanic gardens at mid levels, which is much further uphill from where I am now. And incidentally, I found a sound that I had heard earlier but couldn't locate. It was the traffic lights. Here, the traffic lights emit a constant pulse, and I think they stay on for 24 hours every day. The sound of nature and traffic lights forms a very interesting cacophony with a particularly intoxicated tourist down in Lang Kwai Fong earlier. We can hear her from here. She was calling out for a man called David, and I really hope she found him. It shouldn't be too hard, as sound travels far here. As we sit and admire the orange glow against the concrete high rises, in midst of the animals' echoes, we can hear that there are starting to be a bit of movement on the streets. The day is about to begin, and all the excitement of the city is about to come back into full swing once again. We can feel it, and we can definitely hear it. And this edge is why I keep falling in love with the city. Say it's you. Then I know it's time for the 
I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Rolling Sounds. Next stop, we're taking a trip to the port that introduced swing into Italy, the port city that became a stronghold of an entire school of Italian singer-songwriters, and the birthplace of Christopher Columbus. We are going to Genoa.